1: Hi, this is Will Schwalbe, and you're listening to But That's Another Story. As we head into a new year, I'm delighted to revisit a special episode from last year, my conversation with Melinda Gates. Melinda has a wonderful tradition. While she does believe in starting each new year with resolve, she doesn't make New Year's resolutions. She chooses a word for the year, a word that, as she puts it, encapsulates her aspirations for the 12 months ahead. As for me, I'm going to choose a word for the year, too. And I hope you'll consider doing the same. As Melinda says, the power of a well-chosen word of the year is that it doesn't just make the year better, it makes us better, too.
0: I'm Melinda Gates, and I've written a book called The Moment of Lift.
1: Melinda Gates needs no introduction, but I'll give one a try. Melinda is a philanthropist, businesswoman, and global advocate for women and girls. While she spent the beginning of her career at Microsoft, Melinda is now the co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the founder of Pivotal Ventures. She's also recently become an author with the publication of her first book, The Moment of Lift, which I edited. I so enjoyed getting to know Melinda over the course of working on her book and all the conversations we had about other books, all the way back to the ones she read as a kid.
0: I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and in our family, we had two girls. I was the second of the two girls, very close in age, and then there was a bit of a gap, and then my
1: parents had two boys. Melinda's life was centered around the kind of typical, everyday things that make up most of our lives. Homework, lots of chores, and going to church on Sundays were especially important in her family. And from the beginning, Melinda was excited about life. It's clear just from the way she describes what she was like as a kid.
0: Very positive, very upbeat, A lot of energy, maybe almost too much energy, kind of excitable. Uh, Going to sleep at night was not my forte. And in fact, I would get my sister in trouble because we shared a room and we each had a twin bed. And I would often do something, you know, I'd be jumping on my bed or jumping on hers to like keep her awake when she was tired. And then, you know, your parents come in and, well, she was the older one, so she got more in trouble. (laughs) But I had a lot of energy as a kid.
1: But Melinda also had a quieter Introspective side.
0: I was a huge reader as a kid. And my aunt, my great aunt, was a nun, is the one who we really credit with teaching me to read. She was a teacher. And my first memory was really sitting with her and reading books and her being so encouraging. And then I just loved books so much. And so for me, it was always this trade-off because I'm both an extrovert. I'm more extroverted for sure, but I have this big part of me that's introverted. And so it was always a trade-off. Am I going to go ride my bike and see my friends or am I going to read? And I was always working on a book. And I would find an author and like an author so much that I'd read basically everything they wrote. So I went through a phase where I read everything Ken Follett wrote, which I really liked. Or I'd go through a phase where I read everything that, you know, Fitzgerald wrote. So yeah, I loved to read.
1: As a big reader, Melinda developed an early enthusiasm for libraries, both the local public libraries and especially the one at the Catholic school she attended. I
0: loved going to the library at school. Loved the smell of it, the quietness in there. The Judy Bloom books were not completely available to us in Catholic school. And yet my mom would take me and my sister and my sibling, my brothers, to the public library. And as I'd read Raul Dahl, I'd see Judy Bloom there, and I got interested in some of her early books. And then I checked out a book called Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret completely not accepted in the Catholic school, but we started passing it around and we were all learning a lot about puberty from this book as eighth grade girls. And um, we were quite surprised when one of the nuns got hold of it. And as we were in math class, could see her reading it surreptitiously behind her desk to see what we were all reading and we would giggle and we thought that was very, very funny.
1: Melinda's Catholic faith was a constant in her young life. But as she grew up, there was another credo running through everything she did, setting and achieving goals.
0: I think in my 20s, I don't think, I know in my 20s, I was incredibly goal-oriented. I wrote down my goals for a month, you know, my monthly goals, my yearly goals. I did that in high school. I did it in college. I did it in my work life. And it, that drives you and fuels you in a certain way. So you know where you're going and where you're driving, And so I think sometimes I drove too hard towards a goal that would have happened anyway, but I used so much energy trying to make it happen. I graduated from Duke University with both a computer science degree and an MBA. And I was 22 when I graduated. And Microsoft scooped me up as a young woman with a computer science degree and a business degree. I was in the first class of MBAs at Microsoft. There was uh, one woman and nine men. I was the only woman. And then I spent basically my entire 20s working at Microsoft, the rest of my time in my 20s. And we were changing the world. I loved it. I mean, we were literally changing how people used computers and the computers were changing very, very rapidly. And we were driving hard for results, for getting products out. I would change teams and then... By the time I left Microsoft with the birth of our first daughter, I was running a group of 1,700 people, and I loved those years, but they were very hard-charging.
1: When we come back from the break, Melinda comes across a book that finally makes her slow down. Melinda Gates had spent her early career at Microsoft always driving towards a new goal. But as she took a step back and began to work on philanthropic projects, a book called Awakening Joy came across her path and stopped her in her tracks.
0: I first came across Awakening Joy because... One of my best female friends, Charlotte Guyman, recommended it to me. She was reading it, and she had come across it because her son, who was then at Stanford, was in a course about joy and happiness. And he had read it, and I had known him literally since the day he was born. I watched her son, Will, grow up. He said to his mom, Mom, this book was really meaningful to me. You might want to read it. And Charlotte was partway through it and gave me a copy.
1: The book's impact on Melinda was immediate.
0: Awakening Joy was so meaningful to me. It's written by James Barra that I carried it around in my purse probably, even though I'd read, it wasn't one of these books I wanted to read start to finish, like I was getting so much meaning and working with each chapter that I read it over time. But then once I was finished reading it, I read it again and I carried it in my purse for probably a year and a half. And if you saw the copy of that book, I had so many things tabbed and marked that were just meaningful to me. It helped me look at meditation in a different way. I came from a Catholic background, so I certainly believed in prayer, but I was just starting a meditation practice. I'd gone to a a couple of different seminars on meditation. I was very much a novice. But it helped give me a grounding in why meditation could potentially be so incredibly helpful and how even when you're going through a tough time, whether it's a tough day, a tough conversation, a tough month, a tough year, that you could still find joy every single
1: day. The timing couldn't have been better.
0: When I was reading Awakening Joy, I still had three children who were right in those sort of elementary, middle school years. I was a foundation executive and had been working at that already for quite some time. I was leading an effort called the London Family Planning Summit to try and get 200 million women access to contraceptives by 2020. I knew that I needed to lead that effort, but I didn't know how to do it. It was something I had never done before to try and raise money at the scale of billions of dollars on behalf of women. I was up against something I didn't even quite realize at the time, which was that we don't fund things for women, and yet I was being what I would call called to move forward. That book helped me sit in quiet and start to understand all of the pieces that might need to come together and where my role was. Where do I use my energy? Where do I trust partners? Where do I trust what people are telling me? If I needed to have a difficult conversation with somebody and even in my home, you know, Bill and I were at that point in our lives just beginning honestly to totally wrestle with do we truly, truly have an equal partnership at the foundation? And I think the most important thing I learned from that book was to be patient and to know that that process would unfold
1: The book also led Melinda to read another that has had a profound impact on her. Mark Nepo's The Book of Awakening.
0: They both have the word awakening in them. And I feel like that's what they've both done for me is they've helped awaken a part of me that was there. But I covered it over maybe since my high school years. that book helped me walk myself backwards, almost to the person I was in high school. And I knew in high school how I wanted to be in the world, how I wanted to act. I already knew what I believed in. I already knew, because I was, you know, I was had been in this Catholic community, but with a more set of liberal nuns, quite honestly, in high school, and who let us Uh, question our faith, taught us to really think, taught us about silence, taught us the power of being out in the public schools, doing community service. I was in the Dallas County Courthouse. I saw people going through the criminal justice system. And those nuns taught us that one person's act, no matter how small or kind or large it was in the world, could change a person's life. I think as I got off into college and got into the hard-nosed tech sector, which, again, I love the drive and the energy of it, of technology, and I love the puzzles and the math and working with more men and all of that, I think I lost a bit of that side of myself from high school. And I think awakening joy helped me remember back to who I was.
1: As Melinda sorted through how she wanted to approach philanthropic projects with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Awakening Joy acted as an important touchstone.
0: We had this amazing mission with the foundation. We had these values that I had helped set. But how I wanted to be and act as a woman leader, I think Awakening Joy helped me realize what work I still had to do inside my partnership at home with Bill to be an equal partner so I could lead equally, leading on behalf of women around the world.
1: And the book continues to guide Melinda's work today.
0: What I'd learned through awakening joy that you have to learn to sit with all those feelings, that that whole range of human emotions, you have to sit with it, and you have to be patient with it, and you can't just rush into. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to have a goal to you know end this. You have to you have to experience the whole range of emotions. You will be okay while you go through it, even though you may want to resist some of the emotions. And it's in going through that process of the emotions that you then come out the other side and know where you should turn your feet and set your intention and then what you should do and how to act in the world. And when you do that, a lot of people, it turns out, show up to help you in that. And you're not alone in trying to fix things on behalf of others in the world. I would go back to my younger self before I had read Awakening Joy and say, Trust yourself more. Trust your gut. Trust that you have inside you everything that you need. And that when you quiet yourself down and listen to your soul, you already knew these things about yourself in high school and trust your high school self.
1: But That's Another Story is produced by Katie Ferguson. With editing help from Alyssa Martino. Thanks to Melinda Gates and the teams at Pivotal Ventures and TriFilm. If you'd like to learn more about the books we've mentioned in this week's episode, you can find out more in our show notes. You can also find a transcript of this episode and past ones on LitHub. If you've been enjoying the show, please be sure to rate and review on iTunes. It really helps others discover the program. And subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If there's a book that changed your life, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at macmillan.com. We'll be back with our next episode in two weeks. I'm Will Schwalbe. Thanks so much for listening.